Bitcoin Country Podcast. Welcome to this first episode of the Bitcoin Country Podcast. I am your host, and today we will be speaking with a very special guest. This podcast does not accept donations, and you'll never hear an advertisement. And you can speak with anyone associated with this podcast anytime on Telegram. The Telegram messaging app is the best choice for your private communications, a new era of messaging. We are on Telegram at the No Agenda Discourse Group, and you can find the discourse group at t.me forward slash No Agenda Podcast. Now, for our guest, we will be talking about what the difference is between currency and money, and we will answer the question, what is a falling currency? Now, let's get into it. Please state your name and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is John Snyson. I'm uh, uh, the CEO of uh, TheEconomicTruth.org. I've been, uh, well, what what can I say? I actually started uh, in this field about uh, 10 years ago when I read a book. No, actually, sorry, it's 12 years ago now. I read a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, and uh, I, at the time, I was living in Norway. I was a, uh, a heavy, hardcore socialist. I uh, uh, didn't understand economics or money at all. And I was blatantly shocked at you know how the tax system in the U.S. was actually written against me. So I was just appalled. I read the book. I it, you know really took uh, great uh, earning to it. And then uh, of course he had a whole bunch of what they called advisors. And one of them was actually his name was Mike Maloney. Uh, and uh, currently Mike Maloney actually runs a gold and silver bullion dealership. He is uh, also created a fantastic series that people should look at called The Hidden Secrets of Money. Um, so I read his book called Investing in Gold and Silver. After that, I was just shocked at, you know, like how the whole monetary system, this whole cycle, you know, kept on repeating itself or, uh, you know, at least two, three, four, five hundred times uh, throughout history. And uh, I had to delve deeper into it. So I read uh, probably about uh, 100 books now on uh, money and, and economics and monetary history. Monetary history is my favorite, by the way. Uh, and so I read that. And, uh, the last, I would say, like eight years, I've been very serious. I've been out there. Uh, the last uh, six years, I have put out a lot of content, including I've written two books, uh, The Hidden Secrets, uh, no, sorry, <laughs> The End of Freedom, Power, Monetary System, Slices, Canada, the greatest economy in the world, question mark. Um, I created a website called theeconomictruth.org. I actually been an advisor on a couple of blockchain projects and are currently advising other people on similar uh, similar topics, trying to uh, put together uh, currencies or uh, ways of uh, doing business through blockchain. Uh, and so on and, and so uh, and of course i've been uh with a friend of mine called uh, josh sigurdsson at world alternative media for five years we actually just recently got banned off of youtube uh forever uh, of course we're using a whole bunch of alternatives like bittube uh no like bitshoot uh, and d live and uh, library and all these blockchain alternatives which is the only way out currently you know to get your word out on a an alternative scale because there's no way I could go on a, um, a mainstream media channel. I tried that. I had luck one time. Uh, the other three or four times they tried to you know shut you off or 
uh, or they would have very limited edited versions of what you're saying. So I've been out there, you know, on this uh, path for a very long time, and uh, I- I'm just very passionate. I found Bitcoin back in 2013, and I got very excited when I saw it. Uh, it's, of course, not the only thing that I'm excited about when it comes to money and economics, but it was definitely a game changer. And so I, I studied that since 2013 and uh, I got very excited about the, the whole blockchain project and what it could do, the, the revolution of uh, the development in, in, in software and in uh, you know the creation of systems uh, like this. So uh, that has just brought me down the path of you know understanding uh, currencies and money and uh, today, you know, I'm, I'm sitting at a place where I, I, I'm currently doing a whole bunch of uh, podcasts everywhere, all around the world, trying to spread the uh, my wisdom as much as possible. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm at uh, right now. What is your technical background in brief? <laughs> you know what? It's, it's hilarious, actually. I have uh, and nothing in computer science, really, but I do have a little bit back home in Norway. Uh, in Norway, I have a telecommunications technician, it's called. So uh, I, you start the first year, you actually go through uh, electrical, you go through automation, uh, through computer programming, uh, and low voltage, and so on. And actually, uh, you go through that, then you become a telecom technician. So everything under 110 volts, I got to understand and know. And I've been working in, uh, in networking and structured uh, cabling. So the actual infrastructure side for about 21 years, uh, actually, I still do it uh, to this day uh, on, on the side of doing all the, you know, my passion is really the economic side, but that's that's actually my background. So that's why I can kind of speak and understand, like I used to build computers as a kid, you know, built my first computer when I was about six years old back in, uh, I had a four megabyte hard drive in it. Uh, <laughs> It was exciting times. It was a three three eighty six computer that I had back in the day, and uh, that was back in the nineteen nineties. So, but I, I really have, uh, like that's kind of my ba- technical background uh, where I come from. Other than, of course, you know, I, I never went to school, you know, to get a PhD in economics because I, I think that system is totally flawed, and I can debunk it at any time if anyone's <laughs> anybody with a PhD wants to try to debate me. I think, anyways. All right, very good. So you got involved with technology in the 90s. Yeah. Um, I'm your host. I am a candidate for president of the United States. Uh, my strengths are technology, economics, and the law. I started out with technology in the 80s and uh, had a real bang-up uh, career. And um, when I was laid off from my Fortune 100 corporation job in uh, the year 2000, right after the dot-com pop, I knew that I had to learn about economics. And I started out with Creature from Jekyll Island and uh, learned about uh, uh, Jim Puplava at Financial Sense. He was the first uh, educational material that I was able to listen to that was not Bloomberg or or, uh, MSNBC or or CNBC or one of those. So um, we're going to have a good time here tonight. I'd like to start off with an interesting question, but before I ask the question, I've got to tell a little story. And in this story, John, you're going to be China. I'm going to be the United States. Okay? Yeah, that sounds good to me. All right. In China, you guys grow apples. 
in the United States, we grow oranges. So one day, you and I meet, and you give me one of your apples, and I give you one of my oranges, and we have a good thing going. So we both propose to each other some trade deals. Okay, I'll give you a tanker full of oranges when you send us a tanker full of your apples. So this starts uh, our trade relationship. So you send a tanker full of your apples to the United States, and when when the tanker lands on uh, lands in our port, we unload your apples and we load up a bunch of oranges and send them back to you. And this goes on for a few years until, for whatever reason, in this theoretical story that we're talking about here, one day I come to you and I say. I'm sorry, but uh, we don't have any more oranges, but we really like your apples. So what we'd like to do is we'd like to offer an alternative. When you send us apples, we'll give you pieces of paper. These are going to be IOUs, uh, call them uh, bills of credit. And for, for every tanker full of apples that you send us, we're going to give you pieces of paper uh, that represent oranges in the future. And I say, you know, do you accept that deal? And you say, sure, we'll go ahead and accept that deal. So that point in time, you start sending us your apples and then we start uh, sending us your, uh, we start sending you our IOUs. And this happens for uh, a, a period of time. So here's the question. How long is it going to take you to figure out that these pieces of paper that we're giving you uh, do not represent oranges in the future, and that uh, you you just just basically been had. <laughs> well, it depends. You know, uh, you could uh, you could have you know the current futures contracts that's on the oldest exchanges um, around the world. Of course, you can trade in orange future contracts as well as apple future contracts. Uh, it, it depends, as I said. You know, there might be. Uh, and understand that maybe you had a severe drought and you're hoping to get back. Maybe you get better weather. Right. Well, uh, in the story, let me just clarify that we stopped growing oranges and we're really not interested in growing oranges. And uh, how long is it going to is going to take you to figure out that uh, you just got had? Looks like we have some technical difficulties. Okay, we had some technical difficulty. The last uh, summary of what just occurred was uh, explaining that uh, we no longer had a desire to grow oranges. And I was asking, how long is it going to take you to figure out that you've been duped? Yeah, no, it'll probably take a little while because, uh, you know, uh, until I actually be like uh, with future contracts, you know, uh, it's supposed to be a future contract on NASA. You know, recently, actually, there's a good, uh, here's a good example. 
you know, you had the oil contracts being negative. So you actually had to pay to get rid of your future contracts uh, as well because there was oversupply. But that's a little bit different, of course, than uh, no supply at all that you had to, uh, you know, dupe me. Uh, but, but of course, yeah, it will take a little while. You know, you have a little lag until people start to ask questions. Uh, and that's what you have in any systems. You know, usually it takes uh, a little bit more than months. It usually takes like uh, uh, 50 to 60 years, you know, through a system that people start to ask those questions. And then maybe it takes another 30, 40, 50 years for it to, for people to really be like, well, no, you know, this is really worthless. This is worth nothing. And then, of course, you stop using it, and then it becomes worthless. Okay, so um, I was not actually asking the question uh, related to a futures contract, but I could understand how that would be interpreted as inserting a futures contract. I'm trying to break things down into their simplest element. And uh, the simplest element would be two people that are trading goods for goods until one person stops trading goods for goods and starts to, to, to deviate into a a negative scenario where yeah and you, you basically had to create a paper contract and and sell me that paper that fake paper in order to then you know make sure that i actually got along or else you would have been out of business right and um and, and yeah and we would go without your apples too mm-hmm. so what i'm basically observing is this is where we are at and i use china and and the united states or as the example and i really think that that's what's going on is they are sending us their blood sweat and tears and uh we're still trying to uh ponzi scheme them uh with uh bills of credit no 100 percent it's it's totally true and uh and uh, that's what they got away with you know what's interesting let me let me just give you a little bit of historical perspective here uh, this is, I believe it was Virginia back in the 17, uh, late 1700s that actually started this whole like kind of mercantilist uh, approach to currencies. And they actually had a currency, but it was more locally to the United States. They actually started shipping, uh, they started selling goods. You know, they used to get in, uh, it was a big, the big ports were there from, from Europe. So they got all the goods in there and then started selling it all around uh, the United States. Uh, the, the problem was that, you know, at one point they were like, oh, well, let's create contracts. You know, let's create these uh, IOUs and start, uh, you know, using that instead of uh, actual physical uh, journal entries. So they started to sell these, use these, um, uh, this currency to pay, uh, you know, to give to people uh, that they bought good for, goods for and services for as well. Uh, and over time, you know, what happened was that uh, they shipped their currencies everywhere, you know, bought things uh, from uh, their neighboring states. But at a point, you know, those states were asking questions like, hey, you know, the how come uh, suddenly this currency is buying me less now than it did before? And that's what you have in a natural inflationary state. And that's what you actually have in China right now where or uh, rest of the world where they're asking themselves you know these uh, american dollars are not buying me the same amount of goods and services anymore uh and, and that's when people start asking questions and of course the virginian um, i forgot what the currency was called I, I don't know if it was called a dollar or something else but uh that currency actually you know of course failed because everybody was starting to ask too much questions uh and the ponzi scheme came to to an end because there was uh 
you know, they basically devalue by issuing way too much currency uh, to buy goods, but it, it works for a while. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, everything does, you know, works for 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, a lot of currencies last um, for up to like maybe 60 years at the top end, but the average is about 35 years when they become like full paper currencies uh, as um, the United States has. And if you look back, you know, it'd be, uh, we're right at, uh, let's see, in uh, 2021, we'd be right at uh, 50. Hold on now. It'd be fifty, yeah, fifty years. So we're 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 starting to get to the end game of of a full fiat currency, uh, and it's true uh, and it's true value. And people are starting to see it right now. You're starting to see exiting, uh, all using the used dollar around the world. You know, as uh, as a, a medium of exchange. Okay, very good. Would you uh, kind of uh, go into the difference between a currency and money? Yeah, sure. Uh, when it comes to currency, so currency is uh, just you, uh, how I look at it. It's a medium of exchange is uh, a contract that you use in, in conjunction to you basically replace it with something else. And then you actually give or as a uh, token of the value. It could even be a digital currency in these days, right? Uh, with a lot of the cryptocurrencies that I look at, you know, are kind of fiat in their uh, the way they're built. Uh, so they, they don't have any underlying value per se. Uh, they're just issued and they continue to issue units uh, of the medium of exchange as they feel and see fit. And that's the problem is that when you can create more and more units, uh, that's uh, when you have, of, and of course, uh, that's when it becomes a currency, in my point of view. So uh, a money, in my point of view, is something that you can't really, you know, make more units of. Even gold and silver is like on the edge. You know, if we got a meteorite uh, from space that was full of gold, and apparently there's some of them out there. <laughs> You know, suddenly there would be an extreme oversupply of gold and uh, suddenly <laughs> the value of gold is not as valuable as it was anymore. So it's a uh, it's an inflational supply of, of something. Um, so it's, it's very hard. But uh, actually with, you know, currencies like Bitcoin, Litecoin and others, they actually have set uh, limits on uh, the supply of a unit um, of exchange that they created. And so what have happened is that, uh, you know, even with, you know, I, I, of course, like I studied, um, uh, you know, the. Looks like we had technical difficulties again. All right. We had technical difficulty. We were talking about currency and money and, uh, you were talking about you had already talked about currency and then you were just starting to talk about money yeah no so money is uh money is a different you know for for me it's money is something that actually can hold its value throughout time and um being a monetary historian you know it's even hard to look at gold as holding its money if you really were to go far over time actually the supply of gold increases you know on an average 1.5 percent every year uh and also silver and other precious metals you know 
gets mined out of the earth, the crust of the earth. But what makes them not um, uh, what you call too much inflationary is that also the the uh, the supply of human beings on the planet <laughs> is increasing, if you can say it that way. Uh, so it, it's not as inflationary, of course, as uh, other. And uh, uh, what's what's interesting with that is, um, of course, you know, trying to look for something that actually could, you know, never be able to be used anymore units uh, and, and be able to print it. You can't. Uh, you know, try to do some kind of an issuance or something and, and break the law and, and make more units of a currency. Uh, I, I really, in 2013, I, I saw Bitcoin um, back in the day and, and I got very excited. told me is that you tell me that in, tw uh, in year 2100, there's only going to be 21 million units of this currency and it's not going to be issued any more of it. So I got very excited about that because even with gold and silver, as I explained, you know, you would still have units being, you know, mined out of the Earth's crust. Uh, and if you actually slow down the Earth's population to zero or even negative, you know, now we have, uh, even gold and silver becomes an inflationary type of uh, medium of exchange. Uh, I believe it actually holds some value, though, uh, still, because it actually can be used for things Um uh, in my point of view, uh, you have a lot of like, uh, to me also money is something that could be used as barter. Uh, so anything, you know, I, I think of anything like this, like it would be anything that actually uh, has a value to a human being. So it'd be uh, anything from solid, you know, furniture to uh, uh, your computer that still work. It would deteriorate over time, of course. Uh, but it would be anything like... Uh, uh, fruit, food, uh, it would be uh, vegetables, all that stuff. It still deteriorates over time, and that's what doesn't make it like real money, but it kind of like leans towards money because it has a true intrinsic value, uh, as somebody will always accept it because human beings need to feed themselves. So that's another whole another category when we, we talk about kind of money and uh, versus uh, currency. But of course, currency is just a replacement, a placeholder of the value. Uh, and if you play your cards right, uh, you could actually make you know uh, x amount of units and never create any more. Uh, and depending on what happens, you know, supply and demand of that uh, of the underlying um, asset that you're you know backing it upon. Uh, you could either or it could be actually a good store of value or it could be a horrible store of value. Uh, so, but that's throughout time, like how I look at it. Uh, and uh, uh, I think there's a very few that actually are getting close to what um, what Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are, are getting. Now, of course, uh, talking about, you know, the, the inflationary state of, uh, of Bitcoin, it would be talking about the forks that you... Did with Bitcoin. So basically, a fork is when you create uh, a copy, a replica of that blockchain, and, but a whole new currency kind of thing. Uh, but uh, but again, um, when you look at it, like in today's thoughts, that people people always look at it as, you know, what um, what value does it have in currency terms? Uh, but what you really need to start looking at as, and I try to tell this to people, is that we really need to start looking at how much could it, you know, 
uh, buy me a different things out there. I, I like to, I, I recently bought a whole new computer with uh, Bitcoin uh, because I do believe that, um, you know, crypto uh, should be medium of exchange. Unfortunately, Bitcoin has turned more into a uh, digital gold they used to initially. You know, I, I remember when uh, Antonopoulos and a whole bunch of uh, the guys that were initially involved in it said that, oh, it's all pri- it's all privacy based. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, a, uh, a currency, you know, it's a uh, medium of exchange. But then uh, after, you know, the, the, the limits of the, the one megabyte of, uh, uh, of block size that it has, you know, came into play, you actually saw that uh, uh, you actually saw that uh, there was limitations to the blockchain. Then they started to create uh, third parties on top of it, which is called nodes. Uh, that you can use, but they actually almost act like banks. So that's uh, like me being a monetary historian, I do not like that um, uh, development when it comes to Bitcoin. So uh, like I was positive about Bitcoin, remember, but I also uh, negative to certain aspects of what what they're doing to it because they're kind of trying to make um, uh, second and third layers on top of it. And now you kind of making derivatives and currencies on top of it, uh, of the real value of what Bitcoin should be uh, in the first place. The thing is, though, they created and replicated a lot of them. And, um, uh, you know, I love, for example, like Bitcoin Cash and others that, you know, created uh, more valid. Uh, there's still a problems with them, but they've created more, uh, uh, more kind of like, uh, cash like so you could actually use it more as a medium of exchange and it would be less of a transaction cost to actually send it in between each other I know that's a very long winded uh, answer but I don't know if you you feel like you got like people kind of got some ideas on you know what is currency what is money um, uh, yeah I, I feel like I kind of like tried to answer that as good as I could but uh, let me know if there's any other questions you have on it no, no, you did a, a great job. What, what do you think about the limitation of Bitcoin, meaning that uh, MasterCard, Visa, normal transactions are 1 million transactions per second capability, but Bitcoin does not come close. And would you agree that because the, the Bitcoin blockchain does not meet the 1 million per second threshold, uh, 1 million transactions per second threshold, that's the reason why they're experimenting with layers on top of that. Oh, 100% it is. You know, that's exactly what I kind of got into there at the end, uh, where I was talking about how, you know, the, the problem is the block size, because you can only fit, you know, X amount of uh, transactions in there. It's not very many with Bitcoin, unfortunately. Uh, and that's why I actually, I, I personally hold a lot of EOS, for example. I am involved in some EOS uh rating type of product like so it's a different kind of blockchain that uh, is not really currency but i really like eos for example that has a very fast you know cryptocurrency unfortunately it's not as decentralized of course as as bitcoin is uh so that's that's another problem like if you want the currency you want it to be really fast you want it to be actually technologically advanced so you could transact you know as fast as possible uh, and have a, the the least amount of cost as possible, you know, to be able to uh, transact the the, uh, the medium of exchange uh, as it is. So um, I see that, of course, as you know, the Achilles heel of Bitcoin, uh, and that's why I said, you know, uh, 
that I, I do hold other currencies to, to be used uh, for, uh, you know, as mediums of exchanges because uh, I, I currently, like Bitcoin has turned into a, a type of an asset more than a currency where you actually have to hold it. Uh, and, and it's more like gold, but that's actually what it was based upon initially. So it was interesting. They, they kind of like portrayed it as a currency, but really the way it was uh, built and the way it was created in the first place made it into a, a, a asset. So I, I see like uh, Bitcoin almost being like the digital gold. Uh, and, and then you would have, you know, other um other fat, way faster blockchains that would come in and, and play the, the, the role of, uh, uh, you know, actually mediums of exchanges like EOS and a whole bunch of others that are way, way faster uh, than, uh, you know, Bitcoin can ever be and actually can compete and even be better sometimes than, um, uh, than Visa and MasterCards, you know, transactions. Okay, so, so let me paint a little picture and then get you, get you uh, your take on this. We just talked about currency. Currency does not hold its value. Its value is the the exchange mechanism. Money uh, is a store of value, and it's supposed to hold its value. Uh, are we in agreement so far? Oh, 100%, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I like to think of uh, a real capitalist market as a flea market. And when I say a flea market, let me just go into a little detail. Uh, when I grew up, we had a book called The Butcher, The Baker, and The Candlestick Maker. And so if you look at the flea market, The Butcher, The Baker, The Candlestick Maker, and they're trading their creativity and their resources, and uh, they're trading amongst each other, uh, I like to add in the farmer. So we got The Butcher, The Baker, The Candlestick Maker, and The Farmer. Now, just to be clear, The Candlestick Maker is the gold element the candlestick maker is digging in into the ground and pulling out gold and silver we're just going to use gold and silver to make the candlesticks but they the gold and silver is also forged into coins so that's how the coins enter the element of exchange between the butcher the baker the candlestick maker and the farmer does that sound like a reasonable uh, observation yeah yeah okay so then then we got then we got the bankers the bankers, they enter into the flea market, and I like to use the analogy of the bankers have a printer, and all they can do is print these pieces of paper, and they've convinced the the capitalists at the flea market that are working hard, and they're exchanging their goods and services and their resources. Uh, they, they, the banker convinces them to accept and exchange these pieces of paper originally because it was backed by gold and then later on the sever they severed from the gold backing and these pieces of paper became total 100% fiat but for some reason the fiat is still circulating in the capitalists so the bankers don't have to work all they do is they just print off these pieces of paper and consume whatever they want and the butcher the baker the candlestick maker and the farmer they all have to work for for the what they're exchanging their labor does that yeah they got to work harder and harder okay. uh, for it uh you know the more of uh more the bankers actually go in there and buy and, and create more currency they 
they also you know increase the supply chasing the the, the assets itself and of course that becomes extremely inflationary over time and and that's where you see where we're at now you know uh, if you look at the history of the uh, the u.s dollar any other well i, I shouldn't call it the u.s dollar the federal reserve note uh, the Canadian dollar, whatever currency around the world, you know, over time, there's more and more units that have been chasing certain aspects. And of course, like they've taken it to a whole other level where they could issue it out of thin air as, you know, a debt instrument as well <laughs> on top of it. So they've taken that whole thing out of context and start to create, you know, uh, debt with mass amounts of IOUs around the world on top of, uh, you know, just have it uh, because that's how it always like currencies always throughout history. They start with a solid backing. They're supposed to be uh, solid and keep their purchasing power. But then it becomes more and more tempting over time because, oh, we want more growth. We want our economy to, you know, take off and compete with that other economy. So in order to do that, we could actually print more of the, uh, the more units of exchange so we could buy more equipment to you know be able to fight with them and be able to actually like create uh, you know and innovate more and so on and th that's all good if you could actually like innovate and you could create new brand new things that people you know would buy but the problem at one point uh is, uh, is a scott right yes yeah the problem at one point is uh, scott is that we end up with you know financializing that whole system and at one point, you could just trade the unit of exchange for another unit of exchange, and suddenly you start to gain value by just uh, making that exchange. And nobody really cares about uh, the farming component or the actual real assets in in the world. And that's where we're at right now, actually, uh, where you know we're we're just uh, heavily financializing things. You know, people are trading anything, uh, forcing back. Uh, there's no like, and the average farmer, you know, lives uh, well as right now as I think here in North America is probably like mid fifties to late and little to early sixties, um, and we've gotten away from, you know, that whole thing. And the the, the, the funniest thing, you know, when you're talking about the 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 farmer, the the candlestick maker, and the, the butcher, you know, they are at the end of the line of getting the. The, the most devalued currency because they are the last ones to actually get it after it was created and went through the whole system and they get the most devalued currency and uh, because they're selling their uh, you know their uh, their actual real things that human needs uh, they're just losing up more and more getting into more and more debt and uh, they're just uh, getting devastated uh, and you know if we continue down that road will end up like uh, other empires before. Uh, one that comes to mind is the Aztecs and a whole bunch of others, you know, throughout history that basically started to move into cities or, you know, congregate in, in centralization. And, and suddenly they forgot about the importance of actually feeding themselves and, and uh, water and so on. And then that's how uh, civilization gets uh, extinct. So you're actually okay. describing, in a way, could you elaborate a little bit more about the falling of the fiat currency? Yeah, sure. So, like, how any fiat currency falls is uh, the end game, as I said. Uh, of course, there is, you know, we talked about the whole aspect with, uh, with food supply and all that stuff. Uh, because at the end, you could financialize it, as I said, so you could make money with money. And when you get to that point where you could actually make money, 
with money, who needs to do any work anymore, right? Uh, so you get that. But then on top of that, you get to a point where people's people's salaries actually end up, you know, being uh, being more than. Um, uh, no, sorry, uh, salaries being less than the actual inflation of new currency in the system. Uh, and then so over time, and this is what you see in modern day society today, is that uh, there's, you know, more and more currency circulating around. Uh, there's um, more and more people, you know, buying, uh, and buying into, you know, the stock market and everything with leveraging themselves up with debt, called margin debt and so on. And suddenly you end up with... Um, uh, you know, uh, in a world that people uh, that actually do work, you know, that are actually going out there and do valuable work, uh, they end up and having uh, uh, the increase of their salaries are way less than inflation itself. I see that in Norway, where my mom lives, by the way, uh, and in Canada here as well, where I live currently. Uh, and so what happens is that, uh, you know, salaries is on a way lower trajectory than the actual inflation. And over time, you lose mass amounts of purchasing power. And at one point, you're stuck because uh, you suddenly can't afford to pay for even food anymore. Uh, and that's where a lot of big uh, revolutions happen is when people can't buy, uh, you know, food with a, a regular, you know, hardworking salary doing actually something of productive value to society. And when that happens, it, it's game over. And then uh, it usually takes about one year to six months for a currency to fail when people uh, have lost trust in the actual value of that medium of exchange. That sounds great. I really like the way you articulated that. Uh, one thing that, uh, as you said, when you can make money with money, why work anymore? It uh, th What comes to my mind is two things. The people that are trying to, to make a living with their labor they're not able to play that money game and they do not have access to the pieces of paper that are coming off the, the figuratively speaking pieces of paper that are created out of thin air they can't have access so so yeah they don't have first access to it exactly yeah. and the people that are first access they could go out and buy more assets and so yeah you got the inflation and that see the disparity between you know the rich and the poor and all that stuff like it, it's just an automatic built into the system right and but i'm glad that you you uh, said that because that's what i'm afraid of with bitcoin is that the people with the the currency could just consume the bitcoin in mass quantities just like they could consume you know the pies from the baker in in the in the flea market or the 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 hay from or the corn from the farmer in the flea market that are trying to 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 earn their living with labor. So how do you how do you kind of look at the people with all the the banknotes and the bills of credit? How do you look at them con consuming all of the Bitcoin now that's coming off of the mining operations? Do you think that uh, the the fiat is the cancer? And when they are consuming Bitcoin or or the other alternative cryptocurrencies, that the cancer is spreading from the fiat system into the, uh, the into the uh, cryptocurrency system. Well, I think there's a there's a huge difference there because with the current algorithm that Bitcoin runs on, 
of course, you have a limited supply, which is completely different from these other currencies because you can go into margin uh, debt and invest in things. You could use debt basically to buy a whole bunch of things as well. Uh, so I think that's a huge uh, difference between you know a currency and more like money. Like I wouldn't say that it's fully money, uh, Bitcoin as well, but it's it has a more money like kind of uh, value to it. Now, when you get all these people, of course, uh, at the top, you know, they actually there there is like when you t talk about wealth disparity in, in currency, uh, look at, uh, you know, Bitcoin and others and you'll see a huge wealth disparity as well. You know, who owns X amounts versus, you know, the, the peasants and it's actually a lot of times it's uh, pretty close to more or even worse than uh, than fiat currency today, you know, when it comes to wealth disparity. Uh, so that is a, a big flaw in the system, but uh, I, the, the thing with Bitcoin that I'm, uh, you know, concerned about is, you know, of course, the ownership, like how many people actually owns X amount of Bitcoins are you going to have, you know, people sit at the top because there is a lot of people that actually own, uh, you know, the majority of Bitcoin. Uh, so it's not extremely fairly distributed. So that is an issue, of course. Uh, it's not something that people could get uh, easily. Uh, the thing is, you know, with human um, with human interactions into any uh, type of solid monetary system that Bitcoin really is, is that you will over time, like now, you see products of financialism into you know into the crypto space. Uh, you see they, they're trying to fake, create fake contracts like ETFs and so on on Bitcoin, which is just garbage con paper contracts. It's just another form of fiat, if you ask me. Um, and you'll see more and more of that because uh, people want to... Um, basically, when you have a scarce asset, uh, people can't create more of it. Uh, and you know, you'll have certain amount of people uh, controlling uh, that uh, that asset, so it's hard for them to really like be able to uh, like have a freely, really exchangeable currency uh, with Bitcoin, and you know that that's one of the biggest you know problems throughout history is that you know who has access to it, you know how easy it is to access it. Are we going to actually create a credit system? You know, every almost every fiat currency throughout history, even since the creation in 1024 of fiat currencies, you know, they have created that credit type of system where they could create more units of exchange in order for an interest charge to it. So basically, you could, you know, charge more for it. The thing is, if you charge more, let's say that, uh, let's make this super simple. So let's say that I have the only $100 in the world, I borrow them to you. But then I want interest on it. Well, how are we gonna how are we gonna pay me back an in interest if that's the only currency that exists out there, right? Well, we're gonna have to create more, and you're gonna have to get into a new loan and so on. So now you're actually like what I see now in in, in a lot of in the crypto space is that whole financialization where you know Wall Street and the banksters I call them banksters because they're criminal uh, mafia gang. Uh, they actually you know are trying to now create. Um, the, the, the second, the third, and the fourth layers on top of cryptocurrencies to then benefit themselves and put them uh, into the driving seat, even though it's you know a distributed system at the actual bottom bottom end of it, and it's a very powerful system. 
but they're actually able to misuse it. Um, so like, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of like excitement about it. There's a lot of negatives about it uh, that needs to be talked about. Now I don't think a lot of the Bitcoin maximalists, you know, the people that are for monopoly and Bitcoin, they don't really. Uh, personally, I think they don't understand monetary history when they want a monopoly in a currency. Uh, I think there's going to be probably more than like several hundreds that are going to compete, uh, you know, through the next like three, four decades. Because uh, if you have like a monopoly in a one world currency, I actually wrote an article back in 2015 saying that is Bitcoin the new one world currency? Uh, well, uh, the uh, a lot of the uh, not to call them fanatics, but a lot of the worshippers of Bitcoin that you know are the major holders of Bitcoin, they believe that you know um, Bitcoin in itself is you know the the be all end all, and we're going to build everything on top of it. It's going to be the new internet, you know. It's going to be the new layer of communication, uh, which I, I you know I, I I agree that you know we could use you know those as a layer, but then again you can't have monopolies in anything. But the problem is like as human beings. I think we're gonna, you know, tend to actually choose monopolies over time. Like we basically um, go from, you know, a decentralized type of version, but over time we feel like, well, let's have it like interconnected and let's have, you know, it communicate uh, everything, just communicate the same way because it's a lot simpler. So human beings would always tend to go towards that, I think. Uh, but I think it's important that we educate people about the importance of having multiple choices. Or else, you know, we're going to end up making the same mistakes over and over and over again. I agree. I totally agree. Being a candidate for president, I want as much competition out there as possible. Yeah. And uh, one other thing that I'd like to bring up uh, while we wrap this up, um, I thank you for your time. Um, we are hearing about uh, WeChat and TikTok being banned by the current administration. But what I'm not hearing anybody talk about, and please tell me if, if you hear this, WePay is actually a component of WeChat. And uh, today, you could go into a Chinatown and you could purchase a meal or clothing or whatever in Chinatown using WeChat, which of course has the WePay component in it, and you're totally bypassing the United States dollar here on our own soil. So when I heard that Donald Trump was banning TikTok and WeChat, everybody seems to be focusing on, oh no, people Chinese or, or people in America won't be able to, to communicate on, on WeChat with China. No, I believe that it's the pay component because if the dollar ceased to exist tomorrow, Bitcoin's not ready. It doesn't have the the transactions per it's second. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but we pay is ready tomorrow. It, it works now. And I have not done, I've got somebody looking into it that is near a Chinatown. And if you're near a Chinatown where you're at, I would encourage you to, uh, to look into it. But I believe that, you know, the Chinese... A lot of them, they come over, they don't even learn English, and they stay in their little Chinese communities, and they could use their 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 merchant accounts with China bank accounts in the United States. Have you had heard anybody talking about this? 
Uh, yeah, no, there's uh, there's definitely like there, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of Chinese are not the best to assimilate, of course, uh, around the world. And it's not because I'm racist, it's because it's just their nature. And of course, they're, uh, uh, you know, it's not all of them. I actually talked to defectors that, you know, hate their communist government, of course. Uh, but then there's people that, you know, are here because they want China to become the greatest, uh, you know, world dominating uh, country in the world. Uh, so there's two aspects to that. Uh, you know, of course, with, uh, you know, you got M-Pesa, uh, of course, in Africa. Uh, no, in, uh, is it Africa? Or I believe you're uh, right, Africa. Africa. Yeah, exactly. So you got those payment platforms that are, you know, they're, they're available because they're using the current uh, telecom technician platform that's out there. Uh, we easily with, you know, uh, text formats. Uh, we do have systems in Norway where I'm from that are totally separate from any other systems where actually it's mobile transfers of money as well, you know, mobile payments. Uh, so the mobile payments are out there and that's what WeChat is as well. Uh, no, WePay, sorry. Uh, but the problem with WePay, though, is that uh, it, it's actually connected to, you know, the social credit system uh, in, in China, which is, uh, you know, of course, you can become a part of it. But it's if you're in China, um, you're very controlled with a, uh, you know, a digital currency that it is. But it's, it's very effective. You know, it's very people tend to want to use things that are simple and they will levitate towards that unfortunately even though that in china you know the WePay system is a part of a very sinister uh you know kind of um social credit scoring system that I, you know i i studied i actually did some presentations on it um but of course it's very simple so it's very powerful i'm, I'm not i'm not going to say anything uh, you know uh, i think it's a, a part of a very sinister system but it's really good because they built an infrastructure that you know is there, and of course PayPal as well. You got we can't uh, you know continue PayPal as well here in North America that have you know been built as a system. So there's those systems as well. But the problem is that they're connected to the actual fiat grid. You know they're they're just intermediaries of the the actual fiat grid, and they they you know use the fiat grid to. You know, make more money on top of the fiat grid, of course. Uh, so they're they're actually inflationary in, in their own way by using those type of uh, systems. Uh, but they, they, of course, wouldn't exist if there wasn't fiat currency around, of course. Now that, you know, you have PayPal and others looking at being able to accept Bitcoin currencies. Uh, but yeah, again, no, I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, convenience and... Uh, of course, the UI, like the usability of anything, you need to have that in place. And as you said, you know, it's not there yet with uh, with cryptocurrency. Uh, I I I'm a, I'm a technologically literate person, so it's so much easier for me. But you know, go and ask you know the general population, the baby boomers and so on out there, uh, to just go and try to figure out how to do Bitcoin transaction. You know, I bet you they would probably just stop because they it was way too hard and, and people want easy these days you know the easier it is the the faster will adopt and that's why you have you know tiktok and others you know that ai plot like it's a massive ai platform that they build a social media with fast you know uh, uh videos and, and interactions for, for for kids mostly you know like younger younger uh population 
So they really have succeeded. But as you said, you know, it has an aspect to it that, you know, they don't want that payment system to come into the United States and kind of get a huge market share over the U.S. dollar. I, that's actually a, that's actually a thing that I haven't really like thought of that much. So I, I'm very happy that you pointed that out to me. Oh, great. Then this could be part of a future conversation. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I'd love to. Okay, I'll keep in touch with you on Telegram. And I thank you for your time. You want to wrap up with uh, your website again? Yeah, sure. You can find everything that I do at uh, theeconomictruth.org. Uh, or you could go on to Amazon and buy my books, The, Econ the End of Freedom, How Our Monetary System Enslaves Us, where I talk about monetary history and try to give you an insight into how money and economics works. But in a very simple way, I'm not an academic at all. As you know, I kind of explained through this whole interview. Uh, so that's a great one. And then, of course, uh, uh, another one is called Canada, the greatest economy in the world, question mark. But in the Canadian sense, I heard a lot of people told me it's like this totally makes sense in my country as well. So it's kind of like a uh, I, I did interpret, you know, the Canadian economy, but it's very much so, you know, uh, eligible to any other, you know, major Western country in today. Uh, so I do that. And then, of course, you can go on my website. And if you want to, uh, you know, sit down with me and get my opinions, I could give you a lot. Like I sit down with people all the time talking about uh, what I think about the world. You know, we have conversations like you and me just had. And I uh, just take a little bit of uh, uh, money or crypto or gold and silver even for that because, you know, I, I put my time and energy into it to try to help you understand it a little bit more. So you can book me there as well, like on my website. And um, yeah, you could also find me at, if you go to, uh, uh, you know, the Liberty, Advi the Liberty Advisor Show, uh, dot com, uh, you'll find something called the Tim and John Show. And uh, it, it's a very exciting uh, show that I'm doing with a financial advisor. Uh, the only advisor that I know about in the United States that actually makes you be able to own with your invest current investments in the old system actually own crypto assets. Um, so that's what I, yeah, that's what I do mostly. And um, you can also go and check out my Discord channel. You know, I'll, I'll give you the link to the Discord channel for you to share with everybody uh, where we actually have these conversations on a daily basis on everything that's happening in the world. So that, yeah, that's all about me. Okay. Very good. Uh, anybody can communicate with us and you can send that link to the No Agenda podcast. We call it the No Agenda. The display name is called No Agenda Discourse. But the the URL to get to our Telegram group is t.me forward slash No Agenda podcast, all one word. And that's where we all meet and all of our communications are shared in one, one location. And uh, the Bitcoin country podcast is also in there so we talk to anybody i thank you for your time john oh my pleasure i always like to talk to people doesn't matter if you're you know massive or tiny you know it's very important to get this information up no matter what okay have a great night yeah you too